Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. And for the next three hours, we've got uh, a decent old menu to get through. And uh, that incorporates Ricardo Ball very shortly to uh, look at football. Of course, Champions League semi-finals in progress uh, at the moment, so uh, we'll talk to Ricardo Ball about that, the EPL, and of course the Phoenix as well. Helen Gasson joins us uh, yesterday, was uh, named in New Zealand's Commonwealth Games swim team. Uh, she had a rich history actually for us already, so we'll talk to Helen, Helena about uh, where we're at with that, so uh, looking forward to that. Um, uh, just after 10 o'clock, we're going to go to Dean the Bulldog Ritchie. He's an NRL writer for the Daily Telegraph. Um, we'll look at uh, the transfer market, the Warriors, uh, Phil Gould, all sorts of issues that are uh, on the plate over there at the moment. Uh, we shall also have a panel, of course, uh, around about 10.20 this morning with Mark Watson and Mark Hinton. So uh, the two Marks, uh, and that'll take us through towards 11 o'clock. And after that, Brian Thorburn. Now, Brian Thorburn is the CEO of uh, Fijian Drua, and, uh, of course, uh, Fiji are going on through a bit of a high at the moment. And the good news for them is this weekend, they're at home in Suva. So how are preparations going for that as they host the Highlanders? Uh, we'll have a Greyhound and a Harness Racehorse for you as well, all leading into midday, courtesy, of course, of our great friends, Polaris. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, even though he was not named as uh, Black Ferns head coach, as many had predicted, ultra-successful Sevens coach Alan Bunting has got the newly created tag Manager of Culture and Leadership. Yet another byproduct of the review into the environment that is the Black Ferns going into the World Cup and their preparation. It will be interesting to see if this is the last sweep of the big new broom. There's no doubting that Bunting has found the formula with his seven squads. He wants connection and culture off the field to be spot on so as to transfer to the on the field performance. Winners are grinners and his seven skills Sure do, a lot of both of that. When you see an appointment of this kind, it suggests there was a real major problem, uh, a real breakdown as well in these areas previously, and it probably won't be a quick and easy fix. Long term, losing those games so badly pre-Christmas might be the best thing for the Black Ferns programme going forward. We shall see. Set the standards, they say, and set the boundaries. Trouble is, for me, every time I see these kinds of issues, I throw in the superior game plans, physicality, and executions of those Northern Hemisphere girls, I see a wider gap 
and the chance of World Cup glory this time around fading further into the distance. Trust in the professor, I say. Trust in the professor and, of course, the home advantage. And on that subject, brace yourself, you Highlanders, especially in the first quarter in Suva Saturday afternoon. It's been seven months in the waiting, this homecoming for the Fijian Drua. They will be primed. History is on the doorstep no matter. Uh, between them, they've managed only two wins in this comp. This match will have all the physicality and atmosphere of a game with much more importance. can hear the bones crunching now. Isn't it delicious? And here's a late thought too. Fixing the culture and connection off the field to transfer to on the field performance and success. If you can attend to that, Mr Bunting, and make it work, there will be a job, no doubt, for you waiting at Mount Smart. Well, the first leg of the Champions League is wrapped up this morning with Liverpool firmly in control. They're continuing their recent run of form with a 2-0 win over Villarreal. Uh, they might uh, have already forgotten what defeat tastes like, having not been in the losing column since March the 9th. Believe that or not, March the 9th, with all the football they play. Meanwhile, uh, Manchester City got up 4-3 in a thriller yesterday against Real Madrid. And uh, whilst Manchester United are nowhere to be seen, uh, Ricardo Ball has come out of hiding and has gracefully agreed to uh, join us this morning to, to discuss other matters in football. Uh, Ricardo, good morning to you. Um, good morning, Smitty. Your, your, your cross-town friends, uh, City, yesterday, uh, what a match that was to kick off uh, the, 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 uh, the semi-finals. Yes, it was, a, it was an absolute stonker. I mean, it's not often that you get seven goals in a semi-final, and we've got a second leg of it to come, Smitty, over in Madrid. Um, so, yeah, it's far from done. And I think Pep Guardiola will be uh, kicking himself a wee bit because City three different times led by two goals in this tie. They were 2-0 up, they were 3-1 up, and they were 4-2 up. And they let Real Madrid back into it again and again and again. And uh, that could come back to haunt them because, you know, we've seen already uh, this season in the Champions League that Real Madrid at home are a bit of a different prospect. And then Karim Benzema, uh, they're calling him Karim the Dream over in, over in Spain, uh, they have a, a very special player. I mean, we saw what he did in the return league against PSG to knock PSG out. I mean, PSG had a 3-1 lead, went to Madrid with Mbappe and Neymar at all, and, and uh, you know, they, they end up getting turned over by, by Real Madrid, and Real Madrid went through off the back of uh, a Benzema hat-trick. So, yeah, all to be done, but what a great game that was. I mean, it was a real adver- uh, great advert for uh, Champions League football. It was end to end. You had all the big players playing. Kevin De Bruyne was absolutely on fire, as was Benzema, as we mentioned. So, you know, a, a fantastic game of football. Uh, really enjoyed that one. Didn't have a horse in the race, and uh, just just what sat back and, and and enjoyed the the attacking flair and football that was on show. This morning, of course, uh, Liverpool backed up that uh, to reinforce, I guess, the power of the EPL. Um, with uh, a tuna win over a team that you've been uh, pretty pretty hot on, actually, uh, Villarreal this morning. Uh, the, so their, their Cinderella story may be coming to an end. Uh, what did you make of the commentary of that game first up? Now that you're uh, an experienced commentator, that, uh, of course. Yeah. You know, now that, <laughs> well, I mean, well, you've set the standard. <laughs> Smithy, I mean, <laughs> I, you know what it's like. You've you've commentated many games of cricket and many games of rugby. 
Um, and most of those games have involved New Zealand. Um, and you, but you know that when you're doing the commentary, well, you know, the majority of your audience is New Zealand. Oftentimes, that commentary has been out around the world, and you have to have some semblance of impartiality. You have to call both teams. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I must say I was reasonably vocal on social media this morning about um, the yeah, the absolute uh, uh, carnage that was Steve McManaman and Peter Drury trying to commentate uh, Liverpool versus Villarreal. It was almost like there was only one team playing, Smithy. And as I put it, uh, maybe Kleenex should have sponsored that commentary call because, um, yeah, it was... <laughs> It certainly came across like that, and uh, yeah, which is a real pity because um, you know I think Villarreal, as you mentioned, you know, I mean they've knocked Juventus out, they've knocked Bayern Munich out, they're a team to be reckoned with, but uh, yeah, they just they didn't get much in the way of respect or much in the way of a nod uh, from the from the commentary team today. But I mean that said, you know Liverpool played most of the football. Um, Villarreal, what they've done this season in the Champions League, how they've got past the Juve's and the Bayern Munich is they've set up uh, a stall which makes them very hard to break down. And they did that today against Liverpool. And, you know, at halftime you thought it might actually work. Um, the thing that Liverpool do really well is they get in, they get players in behind you. They use their pace to get in behind your fullbacks or between the gap between your fullback and your, and your centre-back. Uh, and they use, you know, Alexander-Arnold, Robertson, Salah, uh, Mane in those positions, and they they use their pace to get in behind and then cut balls back to a deep-lying nine like a Firmino or, or a Jota or some of their midfielders coming forward. Um, and that's how they've scored a lot of their goals this season. But what Villarreal did was they sat so deep, they sat their block so deep that there was no room behind for those players to run into. And it was it's a tactic that's worked against Liverpool in the past. Uh, and that, that they then have to play around the front of your defence. And, uh, you know, I think Thiago Alcantara um, has been a big part of how Liverpool have tried to solve that problem. He was a key signing in that front because he's the kind of guy that can make a pass, that can unlock a, uh, a defence. And uh, that's what we saw in the second half. Um, they they ended up managing to draw Villarreal out a bit more. Uh, the first goal was, uh, you'd say it was lucky, but, uh, you know, Jordan Henderson hit a cross that was partially blocked and that spun over the goalkeeper's head so it was an own goal uh, but that meant that Villarreal then had to think about coming out and trying to play a bit more football and uh, when that happened Liverpool got in behind them uh, and, and, and scored a second goal but uh, you know I mean if you look at Villarreal the way they beat Bayern Munich they only had three shots on target that entire tie you know over 180 minutes and they went through uh, because they defended so well and then hit on the break but I think going back to Spain, uh, that's not going to work against Liverpool. They're going to have to be on the front foot, which is not their game plan. It's not their style. And I, I think if they do that, Liverpool will pick them off and probably win by three or four over in Spain. And I think this tie is pretty much as good as put to bed. OK, interesting. Uh, also put to bed, is, uh, I think it's fair to say that um, they've told the engraver not to pop round this year, uh, Manchester United, and uh, put the Silvo back firmly in the back of the... Um, uh, the cabinet, so I, I don't think they'll be using that again this year. But what they have done is announced at last uh, the takeover manager and Eric Ten Hung. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you'll enjoy this, Smithy. I did see a uh, a football pundit that I follow in the UK closely uh, suggest uh, you know that Manchester United um, need something to to change things around, and apparently, apparently they need a hug. The question is, is ten hugs enough? Um, to turn them around from where they are. 
And that, that's, a, okay. that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think uh, it's going to be a reset and it's going to be a rebuild. Um, you know, I mean, Ralph Raniak, the thing that he has done, he's gone in and looked at the club from top to bottom and said, well, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. There are players he needs out the door. He said that there, there is uh, dressing room fractures. There are players that think they're bigger than the club. Uh, and there, there are all these issues. I mean, he's suggested they need as many as 10 players. I know that uh, in the off-season, United uh, will definitely lose Nemanja Matic. He's gone. Paul Pogba is gone. Edison Cavani is gone. Jesse Lingard will go as well. Um, and uh, there'll be a couple of others. So there's, I think there's five or six out of contract. Um, and they've already intimated that Eric Bailly, Phil Jones, Aaron Wan-Bissaka uh, will all be put up for sale. Uh, Anthony Martial as well. So... Um, there is a lot of work to be done there by Ten Hag, and I don't think it's going to be, you know, a one-season wonder. And United aren't certainly going to be challenging for the trophy uh, next season. I think it's going to take some time. I think he's probably the best appointment, um, and it'll be interesting to see who he looks at uh, bringing in. Of course, it's United, and the talk is there's £150 million for him to spend on players. Uh, and he's looking at a few options at the moment. There's a couple of free uh, free transfers as well. And uh, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who he gets, who stays, uh, and and who comes in. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of players that I'm interested to see how how they go. One is Christian Eriksen, who you know the former Tottenham player who used to play at Ajax. Uh, he's on a short-term contract at Brentford to the end of the season, where he's been linked because he knows Ten Hag and 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 the way Ten Hag likes to play, and he wants to bring him in. Um, so he's one to look at. Uh, there, there'll be there'll be more, obviously. Um, and the big question mark now for, uh, for me is what happens with Cristiano Ronaldo? He's got one year left on his contract, and the reports suggest that Ten Hag doesn't think that he fits what he wants to do. Uh, so there won't be a place for him next year. Wow, that would be an interesting um, release, I, I would imagine, a year early too. Hey, there's some uh, significant games now in, in terms of the EPL at both ends of the table. Um, and around that top four spot as well. So just uh, Man City and Liverpool, uh, 80 points, 79 points respectively, five games left. This weekend, uh, Newcastle, uh, Liverpool and Leeds City. So both away games for Liverpool and Man City, but but very winnable games, clearly. Yeah, they are winnable games. Although, you know, I mean, City... It's tough at this time of year because if if you're going to Leeds, you know, Leeds really now with the way that... um, Burnley have picked up some points. All of a sudden, they've dragged Leeds back into potentially a relegation battle. So Leeds are going to need some points. Um, so it'll be, it's always tough when you go to a team that's desperate and needs something. So there is that. And then also on the Liverpool side of things, you know, they go to Newcastle, who under Eddie Howe are unbeaten in six games at St James's Park. Um, they've really put together a run of form as well. So I don't know that this will be as straightforward as it looks, I think there's definitely a potential for an upset this weekend in both of those games. Um, I, I would expect, I mean, I wouldn't bet on the upset in either of them, but I think there's definitely a prospect that it's not going to be as straightforward as, as, as potentially we think. OK, Newcastle have romped clear of uh, the relegation zone, there's no doubt about that. Uh, so Burnley 31 points, Everton 29 points, uh, five games left for Burnley, six games left for Everton, Watford and Norwich, I think we can certainly consign them to the uh, championship next year. So games uh, there uh, over the weekend which are interesting. Watford versus Burnley, probably the most interesting one. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, Watford have now lost 10 games straight at home, um, which is an awful record. 
uh, at any stage and in any league. So, you know, you've got to think that Burnley, uh, they'd pull the trigger on Sean Dyche. Uh, they put the reserve coach in charge. And since he's been in charge, they've had two wins and a draw. Um, so what looked like a very risky manoeuvre, it looks like it might have paid off. And given the form that Burnley are in, the confidence they have, and, and where Watford are, you'd have to say that Burnley win this weekend. Um, and, you know, that three points could be key, um, especially if Leeds don't win. That'll mean that Leeds are pulled right back into it, and I think Burnley will go over the top of Leeds if Leeds lose this weekend to Manchester City. So uh, a massive game this weekend for Burnley uh, at Vicarage Road. And, you know, you've got to think, based on everything we've seen the last three weeks, that Burnley win that one. Tottenham, Leicester, West Ham, Arsenal around that uh, top four spot. Uh, London Derby, West Ham, Arsenal, always fierce rivals. Yeah, they are massive rivals. Um, the the complicating factor here for West Ham and David Moyes is it's a balancing because they're in the Europa League semi-finals. They have uh, tomorrow morning got the first leg of those semi-finals, and remember, Smithy, that if you win the Europa League, you get a Champions League spot next season. So uh, David Moyes and his team will be very focused on that semi-final. Uh, and I think that that potentially could be the difference here because it could let Arsenal uh, in, the, in the back door, if you like, um, because you know, they'll be geared to winning that semi-final. There might not be the players available um, for this weekend against Arsenal. He might rest a couple because Arsenal don't have a midweek game, so they'll be a lot fresher. So I think uh, there's a game where Arsenal should win it. And if they win that, uh, I think it really puts them in the driver's seat. I know they still have to play Tottenham. There's still uh, that North London derby still to come, but it, it really does put them in the driver's seat uh, for fourth place and Champions League football next season because Tottenham, Leicester, I can, I mean, the way Tottenham have been going, they're, they're so hot and cold, and now there's talk uh, that Pochettino is going to get sacked by PSG shortly and that they want Antonio Conte. And Conte's already got, you know, by the looks of it, one eye on, on where he's going next. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see... Tottenham, Leicester end up a draw and Arsenal pull further clear and fourth. What was the uh, Eden Park experience like for you with the Phoenix? Getting up 1-0 was a great result to head back to Australia on, but uh, overall? Uh, it was funny. I mean, from a commentary point of view, from, as you mentioned earlier, it's my first uh, crack at commentary and luckily I had that Chris Milicic alongside me who's done plenty of commentary in the past. Uh, co-coms and, and, and so that was good but uh, yeah it it was a scrappy game Smithy it was a tough game to commentate actually because you know you try to get your flow going you try to talk about what's happening on the field uh, but pretty much every two passes the ball got turned over so it was a very choppy game it was, it was quite tough to call on that, on, on that front it certainly wasn't a beautiful game it wasn't, it wasn't a great spectacle but you know this time of the season if you're the Phoenix it's just about getting three points and bouncing back from the result the week before against the Central Coast Mariners uh, really important time to get three points as well. I think uh, if they get another three points in the last three games, the Phoenix will guarantee top six. They won't be able to be caught by the teams that are outside the six. Those games are the Vic uh, Melbourne victory on Friday and then Western Sydney Wanderers again over in Sydney and then Melbourne City, the league leaders for the last in the last round. So uh, two very tough games and one winnable game against West Sydney Wanderers. So I'd imagine that's where the focus will be. Uh, but yeah, this game on the weekend, uh, you know, we had everything. We had sunshine, we had a southerly, we had uh, pelting rain. Um, we had Mark Rudan getting sent off on the sideline for comments to the fourth official. And, uh, you know, the Phoenix running out 1-0 winners. And I talked to Scott Wooten, uh, the centre-back uh, for the Phoenix yesterday. And it looks like Gary Hooper 
probably be available on Friday, uh, which would be great. I mean, he's the best striker the Phoenix have got, and he's been out for a lot of the season with injury. So uh, it'd be good if they can get him back in the squad just in time for that run into the playoffs. Let's hope so, Ricardo. Let's hope so. Uh, as always, mate, thank you very much for your input and uh, our update on the, the leagues around the world. And we look forward to Manchester United-Chelsea uh, coming up uh, in the next 24 hours as well uh, as those games at the weekend. Cheers, mate. Thank you. No worries, Smithy. Go well, bud. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ricardo Borlea with his uh, knowledge, of course, uh, enlightening us uh, through uh, the EPL in particular now that we're uh, really in sight of the end of it, just five, six games to go for most of the sides. And, of course, on that last day, they all kick off at the same time in this afternoon, and that has been a tradition for years. So uh, with all those ramifications, if it's close, it's quite an intriguing afternoon to be around the British football scene. 9.23 here on SENZ. Subject for the day, what do you make of um, this new appointment? Alan Bunting, they were looking at uh, him for being perhaps the head coach. Now he's in charge of the culture and the leadership. Uh, the environment as such, is uh, that's his role within the group. Uh, they're getting quite top-heavy now, aren't they? Have, how many more um, positions will they put in uh, around the Blackburns? Do you think that's uh, the end of it? So uh, that is an interesting uh, talking point, and uh, we'll leave it at that and uh, maybe come up with another issue or two as the morning comes on. 9.23. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, 9.28 here on SENZ, three is our text number, 0800 is our phone number, just listening to Ken Laban's comments there too. Uh, I, must, uh, I must confess that uh, Nathan Brown has come out of that pretty unscathed, hasn't he? I mean, he, he was the one that said they didn't try hard uh, when it mattered, they gave up the ghost through at the white flag, but um, would you do that if you had a coach you absolutely respected, uh, you um, were worried about it? I mean, has he dodged the bullet here in this shellacking? Um, Nathan Brown, what are your issues on that? Is it primarily the player's responsibility to fix the situation? Or as Ken Laban has said, is it uh, goes back on the coach himself, the man that uh, approved their signings, approved their salary caps, approved their selection uh, on the field? Um, and I, I just wonder how much these days uh, goes back on Nathan Brown and, and this turmoil, I suppose, we're going through in the last six or seven days because not much has been said about Nathan Brown. It's all been pointed at Sean Johnson, um, Reese Walsh, and the players. The superstars not fronting, and of course uh, the coach has been pretty much uh, out of the sights in this one. It is 9.30 here on SENZ, and when we return, uh, Helena Gasson. Helena Gasson, who of course has just been named uh, Helena in the Commonwealth Games swim team, will have a chat to her. She must be a pretty excited young lady. Here's Araha with the news. Helena Gasson coming through to the third and final turn. She's got it in control at the moment. We know she's got the endurance. She won the 200 individual medley and she's got a full body length now. Are we going to see a New Zealand record from Helena Gasson? And she comes into the wall. 57.88, well underneath the New Zealand record set back in 2012. What a swim, the swim of the meet so far, I'm saying. Well, that was uh, Helena Gasson back in 2019, blitzing the field to break one of the many swim records now under her name. She further improved that uh, time, 57.88, down to 57.04 uh, a couple of years later. And yesterday, 
good news for Helena and her swim team mates. Uh, the Commonwealth Games team was announced. Her name was part of that. And now the dream of going to Birmingham becomes a reality. Team including, of course, Dame Sophie Pascoe, Lewis Clearbert, Erica Fairweather uh, and Helena, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Congratulations. How does it feel to be named? Um, thank you so much. It, uh, it's honestly amazing to be named. It's been a very long time since I've been on a New Zealand team. So, yeah, to be back on the team was um, something that I've wanted to do for a couple of years, but I just wasn't quite sure if I was going to get there. So, yeah, it's just, it's been a long time coming and I'm really glad that I've got there again. So what was it that, that took you away? I mean, you've, you've had Olympic history, you've had Commonwealth Games history, World Meets uh, history, so you had injury problems? Yes, I've had um, double shoulder injuries over the past two years. Uh, one of them is now under control. We're still dealing with a little bit of residue left over from the other shoulder, but um, yeah, quite a big injury block, which getting... With my age now, it does happen, and it's just something that we have to deal with. But, um, yeah, a lot of perseverance has got me back there. Well, uh, this year the, the team uh, looks very healthy in that respect. We've got eight able-bodied athletes plus four para-athletes. So combined team of 12, um, it, it's going to be cool competing uh, in both divisions as such. Yeah, it's the same as in 2018. We were a combined para and able-bodied Team then, and I, I think we had about 15 or 16 on that team, so it's going to be very similar to that. Um, it's really cool having the para with the able body because, like, Dame Sophie is an amazing athlete and she's a really good leader, so it's awesome to be on a team with her. We don't often get that opportunity, so yeah, it's, it's really special to be combined. Well, you're one of the leaders as well in this group because seven of the 12 athletes named yesterday are set to make their Commonwealth Games debut, so. Uh, that would be cool. You'll be able to sort of mentor them. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the veterans now. Um, being 27, it still feels young to be called that. But in swimming in New Zealand, there's not a lot of age um, going around right now. So, yeah, being a veteran and being a leader, it's um, something that I haven't really done before. Like I was on teams with Lauren Boyle, and she was definitely our leader. So it's going to be a different role for me to step into. You're part of the Coast Swim, uh, Swimming Club, of course, uh, along with teammate Eve Thomas. So um, how, how's the training been for the pair of you uh, as you've uh, looked for the, look forward to the naming of this uh, particular swim team in, in particular? Yeah, I train at Northern Arena with Coast. Um, Eve swims under Coast and has trained with us up until 2018. And then she moved over to Australia to train with Olympic champion Ariane Titmuss. Um, so I'm over here without her. Um, yeah, we've just kind of been getting back in the pool, had to recover after the national championships um, to get ready to go towards world champs. We've got that a month before Commonwealth Games, so it's just kind of been business as usual. So how do you, how do you peak now? What is your program going forward? Yeah, so what, as I said, we've got World Championships before Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So my main event yeah. is the first day of that. I will um, taper down, do my main event, and then I've got a couple other races, but I'm going to be recovering during that week while also trying to race and then um, building back up for a week or two before coming down again for Commonwealth Games. It's going to be tricky. I have never done a double taper like that before, but 
we've got a wealth of knowledge on our team, so I'm sure that we'll be able to handle it perfectly. What would you say were your priority? Uh, deep down, what was your priority? The World Championships or the Commonwealth Games? Could you split them? It's difficult. It is really difficult to split them. Um, the 200 IM is a very strong female Commonwealth Games field. So it's probably as strong as making a world's final to make the Commonwealth Games final. So yeah, I can't really split them. A lot of our funding is based off of worlds, so that's hard to give up. Mm. But then there's a lot of prestige with Commonwealth Games, so for me, it's really difficult to um, prioritise one over the other. Okay, uh, clear something up for us because uh, I looked at it yesterday and I was a little bit confused. The expression permission to start. Now, you've been uh, announced as uh, perhaps taking part in a number of events, but one of them was permission to start in the women's 200 fly, butterfly in other words. What does that actually mean? What are the requirements around that? Um, so that just means that I, if I want to enter into other races, um, I've only qualified in the 200 IM. So if I wanted to do other events, the New Zealand Olympic Committee has given me permission to enter into those events. So I've been given permission yeah. to start in four other events but I won't do them all because my 200 medley is towards the end of the program and I don't want to tire myself out before then. Okay, so let's look at uh, having the experience of being to uh, the Olympics, etc. Um, what are your expectations? As, as you say, it's a very strong field. So what, what are your uh, expectations at the stage, Helena? Yeah, it is a very, very strong field. Um, I'm excited. Expecting to get into the final will be a massive swim. I'll probably have to drop about two seconds and it it will probably be faster than what is swum at World Championships to get into the final because you've got three um, English girls, three Canadians and there are like two or three Australians in that field and there's only eight in the, the final. So it will be a huge swim for me to get into the final. That is what I want to do and that's what we're training for. Um, it just depends on who's prioritising worlds over com games or vice versa and um, what, like, it just, it depends on the day as well. If you're having a bad day, then, like, that's an opportunity for me to get through. One of the things that I always, uh, always impresses me, if you look on from home, right, we're looking at television, the swim teams look, uh, but you see them as part of the crowd, they look to be a hell of a great unit together. Uh, what was missing, of course, uh, at uh, Tokyo and some of the other meets, of course, because of COVID, it was that ability to quit that kind of team feeling because of the bubble situation, not being able to go to and support fellow athletes, etc. At least it looks like that camaraderie aspect's going to return. Yeah, there should be full crowds um, in Birmingham because I don't think there's any COVID rules left in England. So that will be pretty awesome to have the um, roar of the crowd behind you and your teammates, not only from swimming but from other sports there. It's it definitely um, makes the atmosphere more special. It gives you that like extra one percent to like just hit better times and better places. So, just personally, as you, as you hit the pool today, as opposed to yesterday morning, now you know you confirmed is going. Does that give you extra drive uh, mentally this morning, as opposed to uh, swimming and preparing in the hope? Yeah, it does. Uh, um, I had a gym session straight after the announcement yesterday and it was probably the best gym session I've ever done in my life. Just There's a lot more energy and kind of excitement 
running through me. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really nice that it's confirmed and that it's public and that my, my family can now share it because we're, we've known for about a week, but it's, um, we've had to obviously keep it private. So yeah, to be able to yeah. share that news with like extended family and friends, it, it is a really cool feeling. So now, you, you, as we've talked about, uh, we know that you've got the Worlds before the Commonwealth Games, but in terms of your day-by-day, week-by-week uh, preparation leading into those two massive events, what does like, the rest of this week look like? What does next week look like for you? And, and are, you, are you able to devote 100% of your time to it? Yeah, so I have all of my energy into swimming. I don't work purely so that I can put all of my focus into my sport. Our weeks won't change that much. We've got five weeks left in New Zealand before we fly over to Slovakia and then to Budapest for the world champs. So it's not that long. We're just trying to rebuild a bit of the base that was lost during um, competition and the recovery afterwards and then just uh, build on the small aspects of the race that we know we can sharpen up easily without having to do a massive block of work behind us. So yeah, it's just going to be, the weeks are going to look the same. Generally twice a day in the pool with three gym sessions throughout the week. And my main focus now is always on recovery. Interesting. Okay. So uh, what does recovery involve? A lot of napping. I have to have a nap every day. Otherwise, I I'm a write-off for the afternoon session. Um, food is a huge, huge part of it as well. So making sure that there's the right um, nutrients and the meals that I have and the timings of that as well. We have difficult time uh, training times throughout the day. So we finish at 9 and then we're in the water again at 2. So it's hard to get in mm. breakfast and lunch. So it's like uh, using smoothies, you um, like different, oh, what's the word, like meals and trying to just get in all the nutrients that I have to without being too full and sluggish for my afternoon session. Um, and of course, sleeping correctly at night, like having ice baths, uh, a normal spa, like, yeah, just all of the new, um, recovery, everything recovery that I can possibly do, I do. Well, it sounds pretty involved to me um, and a big sacrifice you're making uh, to a, a normal type lifestyle. So uh, th- at least um, you've been rewarded with it, with the, with the naming of uh, this particular swim team for the Worlds and the Commonwealth Games. Congratulations, Helena. Thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, we wish you all the best going forward. Eh? Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah. Cheers, and to you too as well. All the very best. It's 9.44 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got a number of texts that have come in on uh, two or three issues, so we'll read them out shortly, and we'll have a multi before 10 o'clock as well. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Yeah, we had a great time with the Greyhounds. We're just lagging a little bit behind with uh, the pacing. So this week's uh, Harness Racing picked to raise funds for our charity, Women's Refuges, uh, at Alexandra Park. It's race four tomorrow. It is at number 11 special way. It uh, is trained by the Hackett's. It's been racing in better fields, no certainty. 
by any stretch of the imagination, but a uh, reasonable dividend and a very nice horse in the making. So we've got 260 bucks. We want to add to that. So yeah, tomorrow, special way, race four, number 11 at Alexandra Park. Text coming in. Uh, Tony, thanks very much, my old mate. Sounds a lot like your training schedule, Smithy. Re-naps and food intake and don't forget to rehydrate. Uh, interesting. We'll catch up at some point, I'm sure. Uh, morning, Smithy. Personally, I think the coach needs to grow a backbone for a lot of those tries. The players were just stood there looking at each other. Not just good enough. And as far as, as the so-called player, Mr. Johnson, he's scared to run the ball after his injury. That put him out for that long time. They aren't the best in the comp. People just want to see the effort. Cheers, Steve-O. I uh, would echo those thoughts. Uh, Marina Smithy, uh, read the Warriors. Yes, the coach does have responsibility for the game plans, tactics, and team selection. But at the end of the day, the players have to go out and implement the plan. Uh, nobody else can. I understand the injuries, suspensions, etc., but play a part. But heck, show some pride, Warriors, will you? Show some pride. Excellent text, that as well. Um, Liam has come in. Uh, when the Warriors sacked Stephen Kearney, Cameron George said they would go and search for the best and most successful coach there was. We then signed Nathan Brown, who was sacked by the Knights, who were performing worse than the Warriors at the time. The bloke should never have been offered a contract. Mm, interesting indeed. Uh, and on uh, another subject as well, uh, come in, give me strength. Give me strength, says Graham from Marlborough, formerly from Northland. Love the way you put that in. Um, another coach, cultural mentor, has been added to the Blackburn staff in a game of rugby where it's your personal responsibility to be fit and ready to play. Follow the game plan and do your ultimate best to be the better than the opposition. If not, you'll come second. Stop making excuses. Some of the players were so unfit it was embarrassing to watch. Some of them were told that they couldn't handle it, went on social media to complain, and someone loses their job uh, over. Uh, have a look in the mirror, people, because if you don't, this team will be lucky to make the semis. And look out then for the fallout and the blame. Okay, Graham, interesting thoughts there. Uh, thank you very much. It is at 9.52 here on SENZ. Yes, Alan Bunting uh, has been added to the hierarchy within the Black Ferns. So what are your thoughts on that? Double eight, double three is our text number 0800 150 811. Multi coming up. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday we went pretty close. The Memphis Grizzlies, an amazing last quarter comeback uh, to beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Middlesbrough beat Cardiff this morning 2-0. We're on track, but uh, Kane Williamson Sunrisers Hyderabad scored 195 in their 20-overs, but it wasn't enough to fend off the Gujarat Titans who won, so we missed out there. Uh, today I've gone for one with uh, some real value about it. The Golden State Warriors to beat Denver, $1.24. That's not the value. Uh, Daly tonight to, to beat the Kolkata Knight Riders. That's Baz's team, but I've I got a feeling Daly might be just going a wee bit better than Baz. So $1.87 there. But the value comes uh, in a game of footy tomorrow morning. Football, Manchester United against Chelsea. Gone for the draw at $3.50. So you've multi that, multi that up. Uh, the draw, the Golden State Warriors into Daly. That comes out at $8.11. Uh, we've got uh, our show, of course, in conjunction with uh, the, our great friends Polaris. Check out uh, their website, actually, and just uh, have a look at the Ranger, the RZR, the General, the Sportsman, the Commercial, the Youth, 
a whole range that they've got coming in, and they've got literally shiploads of vehicles coming in on a regular basis. So check out your local uh, Polaris dealer. After 10 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Dean the Bulldog Ritchie. He is an NRL writer for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, the latest on uh, Cam Munster and the Dolphins, perhaps. Uh, senior NRL referee axed over the Daniel Tupo headshot uh, incident. And how the media have portrayed the Warriors' Anzac Day performance. Just uh, a few issues that we can brush over with Dean Ritchie. And then after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to Brian Thorburn. Uh, Brian is uh, based in Suva. He's the CEO of the Fijian Drua. And they've got uh, the Highlanders hitting town. Already have, actually. They'll be getting a sense of just what they're in for at the weekend. It's going to be bone-crunching, the Fijian Drua against the Highlanders. So we'll talk to Brian Thorburn after 11 o'clock about that. 9.59 coming up, 10 o'clock. Here's Ottawa with an update. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Round 8 of the NRL gets underway tonight. It is the Broncos and the Shark, which means uh, it's almost time to hopefully for us over here in New Zealand to put Monday's nightmare uh, with the Warriors in the rearview mirror once and for all, but uh, maybe not. Uh, there's plenty more headlines going around rugby league circles that have uh, got our attention heading to the weekend as well. And to give us the details on all of those is uh, Daily Telegraph's Dean Ritchie. Welcome to the show, uh, to the man they call the Bulldog. Thanks for joining us. G'day, Ian. G'day and good morning to you. Yeah, good morning to you, mate. The first of all, Phil Gould has dished out an almighty spray apparently to the Bulldogs at their uh, training session um, probably gazumping Trent Barrett. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? And I think most people expected Gus to intervene or interfere at some stage during the year. He's got a reputation for uh, for wanting to get his uh, hands dirty when it comes to rugby league. Look, Trent Barrett came out last night saying he supported the move and, in fact, encouraged Gus to do it. But you can't help but get the feeling, Ian, that uh, Trent might be a little bit uncomfortable with someone else taking over his team. But, uh, Ian, I'm probably one of the few over here in the minority that think that, you know what, as irritating as Gus can be, you know, the, the dogs need something. They've lost six games straight. The season of promise is falling away very, very quickly. And unless they pull themselves together in the next week or two, uh, they can forget about the semifinals for another year. And let's not also forget, Ian, in recent history, the Bulldogs, such a famous and proud club over here in Sydney, have won four from their last 31 games, which clearly is unacceptable. Hell, I didn't realise it was that bad. They've got uh, the Rooster, of course, Saturday night at 7.30, and it looks like they'll be without their skipper, Josh Jackson, as well. So the problems uh, seem to be compounding. Yeah, Josh has come down with uh, COVID. He was on a day off, I think, on a Tuesday. He did a rat test at home and... Up she came, positive. Uh, I spoke to the Bulldogs CEO, Aaron Warburton, just last week, and he said of the 36 rostered players at Canterbury, uh, since December, 35 had tested positive at some point. The only one who hadn't was, of course, you have to believe it, Josh Jackson. So Jacko's finally been found out, and the Lurgy has struck him down. So, yeah, just another issue that Canterbury have to face. They lost four players through COVID last week, and... Things really unravelling at the Bulldogs and they're stone motherless 
last now. We only won one game, which was a round one game, mm. uh, up there in Townsville. They fell across the line up there. And this big recruitment drive in the off-season, which saw them land a number of stars, is really, really falling flat very quickly. Dean, before I leave uh, the subject of Phil Gould alone, uh, of course, Phil Gould has long been associated with Channel 9's coverage, one of the backbone members of that uh, for well over a decade, probably even longer than that, actually. But uh, I read an article uh, over the weekend where Channel 9's numbers have gone downhill and a lot of people pointing uh, perhaps at an aged old commentary team. They want something a bit more revitalised out of it. Yeah, I think Buzz Rothfield, one of my colleagues, wrote that story about Channel Lions ratings, uh, I wouldn't say being in free fall, Ian, but they're certainly down. A lot of people think that you know, maybe Gus is the problem. Uh, look, to be fair to nine, all ratings, I think, whether it be in rugby league, AFL, or you know, over there with you know Super Rugby in New Zealand, I think you'd find most ratings are down this year, given we were all stuck at home last year. We couldn't move. And uh, all we could do was really watch television. So the ratings last year were exceedingly high because of COVID. And at some point, I guess, they were always going to drop to some normality. But, uh, yeah, Nine's ratings aren't great. It's a bit of a worry for the game, but they're on board long term. Fox's ratings are very good. Uh, and I think at the moment, in my opinion, in the rugby league, despite a few refereeing blunders in recent weeks, has been very good. And as always, uh, you know, the the spectacle of rugby league is as strong as ever. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. A lot of interest over here, uh, Dean, I can promise you that. Round eight begins with uh, the Broncos, as I said uh, tonight. Uh, it is a 9.50 game New Zealand time. Uh, and uh, it looks uh, it, it looks a, a quite an, an interesting mix, this game. Uh, the Sharks will be the favourites, but uh, of interest, of course, is Tamari Martin, who was uh, named at fullback uh, again for Brisbane. Uh, this is a bloke who made a, a comeback after an unlikely situation where you thought he might never play a contact sport again. How did you make that come... What did you make of that comeback? Yeah, extraordinary, was it, when you think about the pain he must have gone through at the time and the uh, the emotional strain to get back playing rugby league. And I think Damari said last week he probably wasn't ready to make his comeback last week. He was thrust in there through varying circumstances up there at the Broncos. But, gee, you can't help but admire his guts and courage to overcome such a horror injury. As for that game tonight, and look, the Broncos are, yeah, they're they're they're, they're struggling along at a, at a you know five out of ten every week. They haven't really set the world on fire. They're probably up a few notches on last year, but Cronulla's been the real surprise packet. They've won five of their seven games, and they've quickly established themselves as a real top four side. And there'd be a great one-on-one contest tonight in the centres. And there's a big fella, a big brute at Cronulla called C.O. Talakai, destroyed Manly in that first half last week, and he comes up against the Broncos and a Katoni Stag, both being mentioned as possible origin candidates. So that individual clash in the centres will be absolutely fascinating and almost bullocking tonight as well. One of the talking points, of course, it was on NRL 360 as well, the latest edition of that. Uh, was the subject of Reese Walsh, and uh, of course, uh, it has been predicted and stated that uh, the Broncos will have his signing in the next few weeks. So Kevy Walters will get that across the line. Meanwhile, on uh, on our side of the Tasman, our CEO Cameron George is adamant that Reese will stay with the New Zealand club. Uh, the Warriors, what are you thinking here? 
Well, he's got a contract until 2024, so we should establish that nice and early that he has a deal. And, uh, you know, I'm a bit old school, Ian. I think if you have a deal, you should honour it. But those days, mm. I think, are long gone in professional sport. I wrote a story about Reese Walsh in, oh, it would have been February, Ian, saying that I think you'll find he will be at a Queensland club and he wants to come home. It's just a matter of when. Was it going to be this year, next year, or the year after? The mail I got back then was that he was a bit cold on going back to the Broncos because Kev Walters didn't put up much of a fight when Reese asked to go to the Warriors, and his preference would be to play under Wayne Bennett's new side at Redcliffe from next year. So, look, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. It's a real watch this space. I have no doubt he will leave the Warriors sooner rather than later, which is a blow for the Warriors. Uh, what club he goes to, it's down to two. And what year, I guess, is also debatable. Because that contract, uh, it's under lock and key for 23. So I think in 24, it might be an option in his favour. So it may well be that year when he moves on. OK, well, let's look at the Dolphins. Stay on that subject. Uh, what about the Cameron Munster issue? What is, uh, what is happening there? Yeah, I wrote a story in today's Telegraph. It's up online, dailytelegraph.com.au, that the Dolphins coach, Wayne Bennett, came out on Wednesday, what might have been Tuesday, Ian, saying that you know, we are hoping to get Cam Munster for 23 or 24. And that set alarm bells off down there in Melbourne because Munster uh, has a contract for 2023. So they made a formal complaint, they being the Melbourne Storm, to the Dolphins. Uh, very sternly saying, hands off, he's under contract, he's our player, we're not going to release one of the best players in the game early. So uh, they've very politely at the same time forcefully told Wayne Bennett that you can't go around saying that you want to encourage players to break deals to go to your club. So I think Wayne's been put in his place by the Melbourne Storm. There's no doubt that Cameron Munster will be in Melbourne for next year. But as for 2024, I guess that would probably come down to finances and which club can come up with the big money. But no doubt the Dolphins will throw everything at him because they're desperate for that marquee player, which has so far eluded them. Aside from that, uh, how are their numbers in terms of recruitment? Have you heard? Uh, as in the Dolphins? Yeah. Yeah, they're going okay. And they've picked up a few good players along the way. They've got a couple from Melbourne, the Bromwich brothers and... Uh, Felice Kafusi. There's just been no superstar. I think everyone's been waiting for that real big name to sign up there to become, you know, the face of the club, the one that you chuck up on billboards that helps sponsorship and marketing and and membership drives. And certainly they've got a you know a number of very good players. But you know, Halen Ponger was one that was going to be the main man, and he said no. Harry Grant was another. He said no. There's been a, a list of gun players that they've chased who have said no, basically. They just didn't want to go there. And I think everyone's a little bit surprised, Ian, to be truthful, because Wayne Bennett's such a big name. You know, he's arguably the greatest coach in the history of rugby league. And I think there was a theory that players would flock to Redcliffe to be coached by uh, Wayne Bennett. But at the moment, that hasn't been the case. We've been trying to put to bed... Uh, last Monday, here we are Thursday still talking about it, we just can't uh, that performance by the Warriors uh, in the last 33 minutes when they conceded so many points, I mean they were only 6 behind at that at that point in the match lost 70 to 10, you've watched a hell of a lot of rugby league in your time uh, have you ever seen a collapse of that magnitude? 
oh, it was embarrassing. I mean, wasn't, there's no other way to put it. It was a total capitulation. It's quite sad to watch, actually, a side that you hoped would be competitive, literally just fall apart at the seams. And it's not what our game's about. Rugby League's built on fight and toughness and grit, and the Warriors showed none of those qualities at all. And it's a vital game, this one against the Raiders. Uh, that's Saturday at 3pm over here in Australia, Ian. They've really got to bounce back. Even if they don't win, they've just got to bounce back and show that there's some spirit and there's a bit of fight and there's a bit of resolve in that club because at the moment they are at rock bottom. And everyone over here does understand, and we all get it, that the Warriors have had a real rough trot. They've been away from home for years now. I think it's two years if I've got that right. So, look, there's always that little bit of leeway with the Warriors saying that times are tough and they're doing a great thing by staying away from home for the good of the game. But that result, I'm sorry, that's just not acceptable. I think you've got to factor into the fact that it's the Storm and the Storm are a, a terrific side and they're obviously going to be contenders. But uh, the Panthers, gee, the Panthers have hardly put a foot wrong so far. Yeah, seven from seven. I think I was reading this morning, there's only been 16 teams in the history of rugby league that have won their first eight games. And Penrith did it last year, and it looks like they're on the verge of doing it again this year. So no other side has done it twice, and no other side obviously has done it back-to-back. Back. But to me, Melbourne and Penrith, at the moment, Ian, things change, as you know, in sport very, very quickly. But at the moment, they are in a class of their own up the top there. There's probably a, you know, a second tier, which might include... Yeah, Cronulla's probably moved up into that. Uh, Parramatta, maybe the Roosters, Sharks, Manly, there's it South. There's a few in that second tier, but certainly in terms of that top tier, it's it's daylight at the moment. Uh, look, things happen in rugby league. You might get suspensions, injuries, dramas at club. There's a multitude of reasons why things change during a year. But at this very point, going into round eight, Melbourne and Penrith are that far ahead. It's almost becoming a two-horse race in April. Yeah, it's a bit scary, that prospect as well. So... Uh, we still look at games with interest because, of course, massive fan bases on both sides of the Tasman. Eels, Cowboys, um, Knights, Storm. I think uh, the Knights would have to produce something pretty special there. And Dragons, West Tigers. Now, West Tigers, is it's not a great story, but it's a nice story of how they've actually come through uh, and found some fight, particularly at the end of games. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, they've become everyone's second side over here in Sydney, and Everyone's been cheering them home the last few weeks. Two dramatic results. Field goals winning the games very late in each encounter. But they've not only won two games after losing their first five, but they've bowled over two heavyweights in Parramatta and South. And certainly Jackson Hastings, a young kid that was St. George, the Roosters and Manly before he went to England. He had a few issues, Jackson. He's got no doubt in admitting that. And maybe his attitude wasn't right at times, but he went across to Salford. Then he went to Wigan. He grew up overseas. He come back. He's come back a a, a a better footballer, but you know a better man. And gee, he's really igniting the Tigers. He's got that lead role now in the halves, and uh, they've got the Dragons on Sunday. And you know that's certainly another winnable game for the West Tigers. And I think everybody on social media, when they won that first game against Parramatta, jumped off the sofa and uh, gave the Tigers and Madge a bit of a cheer because they've had a really, really wretched run and. Certainly, I'm glad for Michael Maguire's sake. He's a good fellow, Madge. And uh, the scrutiny, for now in rugby league, it's always there, but the scrutiny and pressure is off for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, it is. And, of course, and, and that job of, as well uh, was also uh, 
people being talked about the fact that if he couldn't get the Tigers to get going, how could he get the Kiwis to get going, of course, with that double role that he's got. So we're always interested in the West from that point of view. Yeah, he's an exceptional coach, Madge. He's one of the few that's won in both hemispheres. He won Super League Grand Final with uh, Wigan, of course, then he won that uh, famous South victory in 2014. It's been a tough gig. Look, Ian, you know professional sport as good as anyone. You can only work for the side you've got. And you know, the Tigers' side for the last couple of years just hasn't been good enough. And I, I say that with all due respect to the roster and to the players, but other rosters are just simply better. It's, it's, it's really, to be honest, not a top eight roster. Look, the last two weeks have proven that they can win, and I'd love to see them more than anybody kick on and win a few more games. But it's very hard. It's that, that old argument, isn't it, Ian? Who's number one in a club? Is it the coach or is it the roster? And I think we all generally agree that a coach is only as good as his players. And we are asking that very question right over here at the moment, uh, Dean. I can uh, I can absolutely inform you of that. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Uh, thanks for your input on uh, all those particular issues, and we can only hope for better against the Raiders this time around. So, cheers. Uh, appreciated the chat. Yeah, thanks, Ape. It was a pleasure coming on. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Dean Ritchie there, of course, uh, the Bulldog, as he's well known, uh, in Australian league circles uh, with his take on all those uh, issues surrounding the NRL. Uh, we can tell you, um, can we, Logan, before we go to a break and then back to the panel, uh, we can tell you that Lisa Carrington has prevailed, yes? We sure can, Smithy. Dame Lisa Carrington has won the K1 500 showdown over Amy Fisher and... It was a tight race. It was a very tight race. Very quickly, I'll play you a bit of audio because a uh, friend of the show, Guy Havel, was commentating it for One News. It was spectacular. Has Fisher got that big finish that she's showing in the first two races? Carrington just ahead of Amy Fisher. It's coming down to the line. About 50 metres to go. Carrington just in front. She looks like she might have the advantage over Amy Fisher. It is going to be Lisa Carrington by the looks of things who is going to win this third and deciding race she does so the great of New Zealand sport the great of New Zealand kayaking Lisa Carrington wins it just on the line by about half a boat length from Amy Fisher what an unbelievable contest between these two phenomenal athletes there you go, Smithy. The goat in the boat, Lisa Carrington securing New Zealand's spot in the world chance with that effort Yep, that's the K1500. Brilliant. We'll have uh, more comment, I'm sure, with our panel coming up very shortly. Uh, a couple of marks today, a couple of great marks. Mark Watson and Mark Hinton. That's next. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, two marks this morning on the panel. Mark Watson, who uh, is really doing some great stuff for us here on SENZ on a number of issues. And, of course, uh, world-renowned uh, journalist uh, Mark Hinton, uh, extremely well-travelled and well-written. i uh, start with you, Mark Watson, if I can, this morning, because you know the psyche of athletes. Um, and I would imagine that was quite a big factor in Lisa Carrington winning the all-important third race. Lost the first one, nipped up in the second one, and then half a boat length in the third Something special in that brain. Yeah, oh, look, um, you know, I was actually lucky enough to um, do the kayaking at Tokyo last year for the world feed. And, um, yeah, one thing you realise, you deal with really, really small percentages at that level. And I think I've said this to you before, Smithy, when it really comes down to, it comes down to the top two inches. 
uh, a remarkable athlete. I think she had momentum going into that um, third race off the back of the second victory. Uh, but, you know, it also just shows it can come down the difference between, you know, a, a, a good sleep and a, a bad sleep. But well, I think what the disappointing thing for me is last year at the Olympic Games, for the first time, they actually had countries enter two crews in each event. So you could have, so we actually had Caitlin Regal in the K1500 and Lisa Carrington. Now, Caitlin went on and won the B final. And Lisa obviously went on and won the uh, K1500. Get at the World Championships. We're still only allowed just the one boat. And, in my opinion, you know, the world championship should be the best. And if you've got three of the best out of one country, all three should be on the start line. And um, But I'll tell you what, these two, but with Caitlin Regal retiring, um, boy, I'll tell you what, how's our K2500 going to look in the future? Can we defend that Olympic gold medal in three years' time? Well, I think, I think we've answered that question. So, look, really tough on one, um, but there's a reason why Carrington's five-time Olympic champion. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, not a surprising result for me, Mark Hinton, at all. Um, but there was news coming out of the Black Ferns yesterday, and uh, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. Uh, Alan Bunting was originally um, one of the favourites to take over the, the head coaching role until they, they named uh, Wayne Smith as the director of coaching. Uh, and now he's got this interesting role as the manager of culture and leadership. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, uh, it doesn't surprise me, Smithy. Um, and it really sums up the situation they're in. They're just twisting and turning uh, themselves into knots to try and fix this um, issue, perceived or reality, who really knows. But it's clearly something that they feel they've got to fix around um, culture and um, accountability and all these sort of things in the black fence. So they've created this uh, newfangled role as title, you know, that befuddles me really in modern sport. There's, there's so many coaches and so many specialists now, and here we have this. Um, what is he? A um, uh, yeah, <laughs> a culture and le- yeah, cult- culture and leadership manager. Well, you know, um, I'm not sure. Look, I'm not sure it's strictly necessary. Maybe in this particular instance where the team is looking to address specific issues, there New Zealand rugby is at least being proactive. So let's give them some credit for that. But, you know, I'm not sure rugby, uh, professional rugby industry needs another layer of management with all the people they already have. Just give those responsibilities to one of the people they have, surely. Um, but anyway, they've done it. Um, they've got a good man in there. Alan Bunting's a really good man. It was a little bit mysterious that he wasn't involved um, in the shake-up. Um, the accent is on man, uh, Smithy. We've discussed this. Um, um, it'd be good to see some strong woman leaders taking roles in the Black Ferns. Hopefully that ha- happens mm. sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark Watson, I just wonder your thoughts on that matter as well because, uh, as Mark pointed out right at the end there, um, it would have been nice if uh, perhaps a, a woman was uh, involved in that role, but not to be. Yet another man goes in. Um, and the fact that they've brought him in to me suggests this is quite a deep-seated issue, more so than we thought. Yeah, look, I think you've got to be a little bit careful that it doesn't, you know, you put everything right so the PowerPoint presentation looks good. Look, I used to be one of those sort of European kids growing up who thought, hey, hang on a minute, stop making excuses. We're all born with two arms, two legs. Just get the coach and get on with it. But look, my wife is heavily involved in the medical side of things, and she will tell you, and I believe you, there is disparity um, in the medical system when it comes to Māori and Pacific Island, etc. And they do, their culture is different, it is important, and, and you do sometimes need to tap into that. 
And I think there is a, you know, a, a lot of people can stand back and be a little bit ignorant about it. But uh, you know, and I know, uh, Smithy, when it comes down to it, you know, particularly dealing with Polynesian players, you're not just dealing with the player. Sometimes you're dealing with the granddad and the wider family, and there is a lot more external pressure on them. And the way you communicate, um, sometimes you, you do need to adjust your communication styles. But look, I think the thing that comes out of it, right, we've had this review, we've put some things in place, now the onus needs to go back on the players. Enough is enough. Let's put your head down. Make sure that if training starts at 3 o'clock, you guys are there at 2.30. Be the best you can be because now the responsibility falls back on the players. Yep, totally agree. I think it's time for that because time is running out. Uh, we know that. Uh, fellas, uh, can you just stay with us? Uh, bear in mind we've got uh, some news to get to and we've got some other issues to talk to other side of that. 10.31, here's Ottawa. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. And yes, the panel is Mark Watson and Mark Hinton this morning. Mark Hinton, uh, just hearing on the news confirmation, Joe Moody out for the rest of this calendar year. Uh, I well remember last year talking to uh, Grant Fox when he said props were the issues uh, at that point. Um, What about now? Uh, Are we looking at George Bell? Are we looking at Alex Hodgman? Uh, Who's going to wear that number one jersey? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, on the one hand, the All Blacks lose a really experienced, hard-nosed, um, capable performer in Joe Moody. But on the other hand, maybe, you know, this takes a, a, a tough decision out of Ian Foster's hands. Um, look, we've talked about this, Smithy. Um, there are some older All Blacks who probably don't have two more years in them, certainly not at the peak of their powers, and some hard decisions are going to have to be made very, very soon by Ian Foster and his colleagues. Um, and Joe Moody, I put into that category. Look, I think he's passed his best. Um, he's still a good player. He's still very capable. And experience counts for a lot in rugby, particularly World Cups. But um, I think it's time, given what we saw last year, for a refresh in the All Blacks. And we said Prop is going to be one of those positions now. Um, that decision has been taken out of Foster's hands. So, yeah, who's available? Look, I like Ethan DeGroote at the Highlanders. But there, there are a number of contenders. I think De Groot's a young comer. I think he, he possesses some of those sort of all-round skills we now need from our props. You, you talk about props being a problem for a year. I remember talking to Steve Hansen two and a half, maybe, maybe three years ago. He had identified then that the skill levels of our props was an issue. And in comparison with the North, we were falling behind. So this has been a trend that's been happening for a while, Smithy, and we haven't been able to address Alex Hodgman, Carl Tuinukuafi, uh, George Bauer, Tom A.T. Williams, the young guy, huge guy at the Crusaders, mm. Aidan Ross at the Chiefs, Archie Molly. Look, there's a, we've got plenty of contenders. Wiser heads than me will have to work out who can, who you know, who's got the power and who's got the all-round skills, and they analyse stats and all these things. But they need to come up with someone dynamic and someone with that can carry the ball. I believe. So let's wait and see who that will be. Well, talking of uh, issues to sort through. Uh, this one's a slightly more short-term one, Mark Watson. That's the Warriors, and uh, I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall when uh, Nathan Brown got them together uh, first time this week after that shellacking last Monday. Um, <laughs> can you fix it that quick? I mean, uh, what, what nah, for you look, are, are the key points here? <clears throat> oh, 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 look, you know, look, there's a saying... Uh, you can't put back in what God left out, and um, unfortunately, I think that runs through this Warriors team. I, I, I was just—I I thought that was just disgraceful. Here's Anzac Day, um, where we commemorate the ultimate sacrifice. You know, 
the true definition of hardship and you know suffering and you know in one game where they should just leave it out on the park no excuses we concede what 54 points in the second half um will they bounce back maybe but this team is just going to end up being and also ran another year another warriors team that just is going to end up disappointing and you know, it, it's just what you expect with them, isn't it? Um, how you change it? Well, you know, I, I think the biggest problem with the Warriors, like a lot of league teams, they go within rugby league to try and sort the problem out. And I think sometimes you need to go externally. You need to go, I think, to sports people or coaches from other organisations, from other sports to, to, to run their eye over this organisation and, and get some, you know, write the book everybody else reads, sort of become that Arthur idiot where you go, hey, I'm going to change the game here. It might be unconventional, but I'm going to change the game. And, it, you know, we've we, we've sort of, um, you know, the solution at one point was Gus Gould. I mean, yesterday's man, I mean, what, are the owners in all of Gus Gould? Oh, oh look, it's, it's, it's just embarrassing. It, it, it's actually a blight. And it's hard because I know how passionate our rugby league fans are. And, you know, you've got people out there in the Pacific and South Auckland communities who are working really hard to get tickets. And then you've got a team that, oh, you know, just can't even do the basics right. And they've got to shift the thing. I get paid, so I'm a full-time professional athlete. I'll keep saying it, Smithy. Professionalism's a state of mind, and they've got to start with that. They've got to redefine the definition of what talent is when it comes to recruitment. Yeah, like, uh, I'm at a loss. I mean, I, I just can't work out, uh, Mark Hinton, how you can be ten, uh, six points behind in relatively competitive one minute, um, and then 33 minutes later, you've lost by 70 to 10. 70 to 10. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I picked up, uh, I, I looked at that result, I, I, I turned it in at half time. I was getting a bit late for this old fella, but uh, I couldn't believe my eyes. I, thought it, I, I clearly thought it was a misprint, but it wasn't. You should have been sitting on the Warriors at the point start, Smithy. Uh, very frustrating to yeah. watch, mate. Um, look, when your own coach, you know, and we all know in the modern professional era, coaches are very reluctant to hang their players out to dry and will kind of go out of their way to, to defend them. When, when the Warriors coach comes out and says, he saw players stop trying, you know something's wrong. Um, there, there simply has to be a response this week, but this a response this week isn't enough. There has to be a response this season. Um, they have to start. These are professional athletes being paid a, you know, good wages to go out and, and and perform for a club with, you know, okay, they don't have a great recent tradition of success, but they're a club that you know means a lot to a country, not just a city. Um, you know, they've got to be better than that. They were. They did look like they'd made a correction, and then they've just mailed that one in in the second half. Lost interest. Stopped trying. Look, it's disgraceful. It really is. And um, I think if they had better alternatives, they would just change their whole team. But they clearly don't. So they've got to hope that there's a response this week. Um, uh, if I'm the Raiders, uh, you know, the first ten minutes I'm coming out and throwing the kitchen sink at the Warriors because you've got to think if you get them down early, the heads will sink again. Speaking of uh, speaking of fixits, uh, the Breakers have got that on their agenda as well, Mark Hinton. And I just wonder, uh, with the NBL uh, taking uh, its tip off tonight in Nelson, the Giants are hosting uh, the SENZ uh, Otago Nuggets. I just hope that'll take a, a bit of attention away from uh, what the backroom has to do, including Matt Walsh at at, uh, at the Breakers franchise. Yeah, look, I hope they pay attention to the New Zealand League. Like, it's not that it's nowhere near on a level that the Australian NBO is. 
But what it is is a breeding ground of young talent, and it hasn't worked for the Breaker Smithy um, um, kind of almost looking beyond New Zealand or, or, or you know, going for um, journeyman Australian and stacking this team with young uh, guys who are he- you know, supposedly heading to the NBA. I think, you know, we've talked about this, they, they've got to uh, get back to the New Zealandness. And the way to start that is to look at, at the New Zealand NBL, look for young talent, bring some Kiwis on board who putting on a breaker signal will mean something to. Look, they've got similar problems to the Warriors. They've just drifted in terms of uh, uh, pride, identity, passion, all these sort of things. And um, for me, they should start by, by recruiting New Zealand's up-and-coming wave of young talent to start filling some of those key roles. Start developing Kiwis, not Aussies, mate. Uh, I really think that's the way to go for the for the breakers. You obviously have to fill key roles with with the right people, but I think they need to. You know, we've seen they they're very reluctant to look at the New Zealand NBL um, for talent. They tend to let those guys drift off. It's time to change that policy, I believe. So keep an eye on the New Zealand NBL guys like Dan Fossu, fresh out of college, playing for the Auckland Tuatara when he gets back. Um, he's a the guy they need to look closely at, and the New Zealand NBL is an ideal, uh, you know, trial ground for that. Mark Hinton and Mark Watson have uh, been our panelists this morning. Thank you, gentlemen, for your input on uh, those issues um, and some uh, common sense stuff coming through there for all of us to consider. We'll have another panel at the same time tomorrow morning. It is ten forty-two here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Jamie's come in and uh, texted this morning saying, uh, really enjoying the show, but it's going to be interesting to see if the Tongan players will choose state over country as the Kiwis look uh, like they are playing Tonga around about the same time. So uh, that will be interesting just to see what direction they go in. Of course, a different structure, different coaching setup, um, and some international rugby league to look forward to at the end of the year. But that would be a, it's a tasty encounter any day of the week, isn't it, when the Tongan rugby league side get together. Uh, that fills the stadium against the Kiwis. Um, interesting to see that Moana Pacifica, their game against uh, um, the Mel- uh, they got the Melbourne Rebels, yeah, at Amy Park. That's 9.45 New Zealand time on Saturday night. Man, are they going to hit the ground running there? Uh, because they're angry. They're an angry team because they have been treated poorly. Uh, they have um, been given no real notice that their game last weekend was uh, called off until... Uh, they notice it themselves on social media. I mean, just how poor is that? How could you not inform the two teams involved first of all? I mean, the force had a heads up because it was their team that was badly affected. Interesting to see in uh, rugby league terms, they just scratch around until they can find enough players and the game must go ahead. That is the difference in attitude there. The force got that leeway. And now I see um, in a story of interest that Moana Pacifica are looking at possibly just claiming those points as a forfeiture. Uh, it's been done in leagues overseas. Um, but, yeah, uh, whether Moana Pacifica are able to do that. They've got uh, Danny Tawala at fullback this weekend, I notice, and a very strong side. So the, the uh, Rel- Melbourne Rebels had better just be on their guard because um, this is a determined bunch under Leon McDonald who feel that they're not getting the rub of the green in any form at all. Uh, so look out there. And other uh, super rugby sides of, of interest... Uh, the Crusaders have uh, gee, they've got to always have a great back line, don't they? And they're back three this week as well. Jordan Severus uh, with Leicester Fine Ganuku and then uh, Goodhue was so good last week on return and then David Harvey. So 
uh, look for some plenty of action there. The Waratahs have got to be on their guard there, and I'm not quite sure that they will be. At some point, you just sense at some point um, the, the Crusaders are going to cut loose. Uh, the Blues have uh, got an interesting look about them with Zahn Sullivan at the back, AJ Lamb, Bryce Heeman, Roger Tuovasa-Shek. Uh, now, wasn't too much written and said about Roger Tuovasa-Shek last week against the Fijian Drua. I uh, wasn't able to watch that game. Uh, that's a good text uh, issue, actually. Double eight, double three, if you want to come in uh, on the remainder of the show. RTS last weekend. What did you see? What did you notice? Um, Caleb Clark back in the uh, the 11 jersey. Real opportunity for him and uh, Bowden Barrett and Finlay Christie. So uh, you would imagine they will be too strong for the force who will still be recovering from that COVID issue uh, and they just wouldn't have the quality, you would imagine, to, to match it with the side who are flying high at the moment. And the Chiefs uh, have uh, an interesting uh, look about them as well. A lot of talk about this Cortez Ratimad, the halfback, uh, and Peter Gassoa Kula, his form this year, maybe forcing his way in. And now, of course, all eyes will be those, on those players in the number one, number one jerseys around with it being confirmed that Joe Moody is out for the rest of this calendar year. Won't be a factor. And that would make him pretty hard for him to come back in a World Cup year, you would imagine, if the likes of Aidan Ross or someone along those lines, George Bauer, can turn up and say, I want it, I need it, I deserve it, uh, let me have it. So, yeah, we'll look at that uh, very shortly as well. Uh, as well as talking to Louis Herman Watt and the TAB, coming up next. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, here we, here we sit Thursday morning and of course we've got uh, Tarapa to look forward to at the weekend with the Group 3 Breeders, Cambridge Breeders Stakes and the Group 2 Travis Stakes. Uh, the uh, looks like uh, Coeur de Boone, uh, Louis, might have a bit of a mortgage on the Cambridge uh, Breeders Stakes and to elicit hot favourite in the Travis. Yes, Smithy, uh, I took your comment yesterday extremely personally, which is why I'm here again, looking at eyeballing you. Um, and I'll be eyeballing you for the next two minutes like Cote de Burn will be for the first 400 metres before he gets himself, Opie gets him into a nice little position, comes around the bend, pops off and absolutely puts them away. He is going to be closer than all his key rivals in this race. I love Rayam Richardson's little filly. I think she is great, Bonnie Lass. I honestly really, really like her. Um, and I really like Lance Noble's wee filly as well, Baldara. And they would have been chances. But you can't be a chance when you've drawn 19 at Tarapa unless Grilsey goes, pushes the button and just flies the gates and tries to do work early. I don't really know what the option is here. La Bella Beals has drawn a little bit in, further in at 10. Shepherd's Delight's drawn 11. Honestly, this race couldn't have panned out better from the drawing point of view from, for Cote de Poon. He is talented. He's got five. He's going to sit close. And punters did not muck around with the $3.30 already into two fifty. dollars And honestly, it just makes sense. Um, by the way, um, Louis, um, did you bring an apple for the teacher today? <laughs> um, no, but I did. Try to tip everyone ideal yesterday, and if the teacher got on ideal, that is better than an apple because two dollars eighty, it was <laughs> delightful money, Smithy. And you know what? To elicit at dollar ninety, I mean, maybe you just multi coat to burn and to elicit, and you just don't overthink it. I, I love Cinerama, Kempi's horse, Al Sharrick's horse, wonderful horse, wonderful mare. She's going to be a great brood mare. They'll have a lot of fun with her as a brood mare. But can she get near to elicit? 
back at the track. She won her Group 1 in this year. I'd suggest not, Smithy. So I'll go give the teacher that one. Okay, you go give the teacher that. You carry on your groveling. It's great. We'll pop across to the TAB and uh, we'll speak to uh, Pip Morris. Good morning to you, Pip. Uh, Cambridge and Addington Greyhounds today. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is. $5,000 guaranteed first fours at Addington a little later on as well. Nice program out of Cambridge. Didn't think there was too many standouts there. Uh, so looking forward to the program. Two quaddies to look forward to as well. And a terminating pick six for the harness later on. And on the sports side of things, while well, the playoffs, of course, are ramping up again for the basketball, there's been two $1,000 bets on Milwaukee head-to-head at $1.11. Eight hundred and sixty-eight dollars at two seventy-five on the power play. The Bucks to score over ninety-nine and a half points in Chicago Bulls to score under the ninety-nine and a half. And today, someone's actually thinking that the Bucks can go back to back because there's been a nine hundred-dollar bet on them to take out the title smithy at seven dollars. So, are the Bucks really the favourite option to put away Chicago today? Uh, and I think your home game one came up yesterday in a big way, and someone had a big go on that. Yeah, it did. It did come up, yep, and it was uh, certainly the best way to play it. So maybe have a look at those power plays again on scabby.co.nz and have a look at a couple of other nice options there. Thanks, Pip. Have a great day. It is uh, coming up to 11 o'clock, and we're going to be talking to Brian Thorburn after 11, uh, and he is the CEO of the Fiji and Drua. Big match against the Highlanders and a historic occasion, really, for rugby in Fiji. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hopefully talking to uh, Brian Thorburn, who was uh, the CEO of the Fijian Druha, who of course have been an Australian based up until now, but Saturday 4.30 at uh, ANZ Stadium in Suva, uh, they will welcome, and they will welcome as well, uh, the Highlanders big time. You can imagine that. Uh, crowd size at this stage a little dis- disappointing. So uh, Brian Thorburn uh, looking into that, and hopefully we can make contact with him uh, because it should be fever pitch. It's been such a long time since they've had quality r- uh, rugby on the main island in Fiji, on any island in particular. But, uh, of course, uh, they've had such a great campaign with their sevens, the men's winning the uh, gold at the Olympics, the women winning the bronze. Uh, and an interesting story, too, about uh, the Fijiana Drua, which is uh, the women's 15s team, which has uh, made a great fist of it, playing in Australian competitions as well. So uh, still trying to get hold of, of Brian there. Update on the netball. Uh, the Northern Stars uh, face another difficult challenge in their uh, ANZ Premiership campaign after... Uh, falling to uh, the Pulse, 56-46, 10-goal margin there. Turnovers and missed shots uh, costing the Stars. They were forced to chase the Pulse for the whole contest. Um, so, uh, yeah, and the, the Pulse, actually, um, we'll talk a little bit of, uh, about them a little bit later on in the piece as well in our hot and cold segment coming up uh, around about uh, 11.40. Uh, Craig has come in and said, uh, Smithy, RTS was quiet last week, nothing special. Uh, no glaring mistakes. What I'm really looking forward to is seeing Caleb Clark back. It's a hard-working, block-busting, wrecking ball. Uh, look out uh, the force. Uh, that's Craig basically coming in there. I, I agree with you too about Caleb Clark, but he's got to be used in the right way. And uh, you put Caleb Clark as speed and his bulk up against anyone one-on-one, uh, he's going to win that battle most times. But if you stick him out wide, if you don't get him involved, I'd love to see Caleb Clark with the same kind of work rate 
that uh, you have from a Seve Reese in particular. Uh, Ken has come in, uh, Smithy, surely, surely Alex Hodgman will come back into All Black contention at Loosehead now, surely he will. Uh, he's had good form for the Blues, no doubt about that. He's on the receiving end from uh, Scott Barrett in that uh, key clash in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago, but certainly he's uh, in that mix. George Bauer from uh, the Crusaders, who was really bulked up, got big and uh, looks very strong as well. Uh, he's certainly got to uh, be in that frame as well. Uh, but it, it is a sh- uh, an issue, Ken, there's no doubt about it. And uh, having heard uh, what Mark Hinton said, uh, Steve Hansen said, I can remember the conversation I had too with Grant Fox saying that props and the mobility and the work rate of props around the park, not just the scrummaging side of it, was a massive issue as they were looking forward to formulate plans um, in uh, their World Cup scheme of things. So interesting there. Uh, still not having uh, any luck here. Uh, trying to get hold of uh, Brian Thorburn, which is uh, a real shame. Uh, any suggestions uh, have you got, Producer Logan? Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed too. I, I reached out to uh, Fiji Rugby yesterday. Uh, I went onto their website and I saw their media manager number. So I messaged them on WhatsApp. And, you know, I, I love Fiji and Fijians. They're just honestly the most like friendliest, most polite people I think you'll probably ever meet. And I get a text and it's like, oh, hey, yes, Vinal here from Fiji Rugby. How can I help you? And they, they put me like straight into contact. Uh, with Brian, so yeah, fingers crossed. I think Smithy, let's let's um just take a break for a moment, perhaps, and uh, we'll, we'll try again. We'll reconvene. Reconvene after this short moment, folks. Uh, we'll be back shortly. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Oh. Eleven twelve here on SENZ, and I'm very pleased to say we've made contact with uh, Brian Thorburn, uh, CEO of the Fijian Drawer, and uh, it's a massive, massive homecoming weekend for them. They play the Highlanders Saturday, four thirty-five, ANZ Stadium. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Very welcome, and my apologies for being uh, delayed a bit, Smithy. Hey, no, no problem at all, mate. Uh, very happy to wait for you because I realise you're a very busy man, and. It is. It is a, a historic homecoming. So, uh, what's the feel over there at the moment? Oh, it's great. It's uh, you know the players have been welcomed by everybody. Everybody sees us and uh, you know calls out Tosso Drua, which means go Drua. Um, we've had a lot of engagement with our sponsors, our broadcasters, a lot of functions. The players were running around in all directions yesterday, um, and uh, it's just wonderful for them to be to be here playing in front of their their families and. And uh, and their and their country. It's been six or seven months for some of them, hasn't it, since they've had contact with their loved ones and and close friends. Well, it has. You know, we we first went into Lennox said on uh, the fourth of November, so uh, approaching that. Um, and in fact, there's a there's a wonderful story that uh, one of our players, who's uh, who's come from New Zealand, and I, I, I find it really hard to pronounce pronounce his name, but T Awarihu Thirika Devita. And uh, he met his father for the very first time in 23 years uh, this week. Um, he'd, uh, he'd, his father, um, you know, he had, had seen a, uh, an ultrasound of him as a baby. Um, T, as he's known, grown up in, uh, in New Zealand, never met his father. So it was a very emotional meeting that took place here as well. So let's uh, look at, uh, that is a fantastic story actually, uh, very very much so and uh, we know how passionate they are too and how family orientated uh, the Fijian people can be. So yeah, ex- exactly yeah. right. Uh, the capacity, Brian, for the ground is, uh, is down as, fo- as 15,000. 
There was uh, a bit of an issue with ticket sales. You're just a tad worried. How's it going now? Well, it's picked up a bit in the last few days. I think we're up over 7,000 now, and um, we've sold out of a couple of the categories. The $150 gold tickets are sold. The $75 silver tickets are sold. So there's a lot of $20, $30, and $40 tickets at affordable entry points. Uh, Fijians have a, um, a reputation for leaving things to the last minute, so we're hopeful that they'll come out uh, in droves on Saturday and if not before, and that we'll get a crowd, you know, if not 15,000, uh, certainly above 12,000 is what we're hoping for. There was a talk that you have um, the right, if you want to, to switch off uh, live coverage. Who's the broadcaster over there? Have you, have you made a call on that? Yeah, look, we have. The broadcasters are uh, Sky Pacific for the subscription uh, platform and uh, Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, FBC, for free to wear. Um, when the Super Rugby matches have been played here previously, uh, Sky Pacific was live, but FBC has always been on a two-hour delay. So we have taken the decision to uh, to delay both of them by uh, by two hours, and we hope we can uh, we can flick that switch back to being broadcast if we get you know close to sell out by Saturday. Okay, well, well I've got to say, it's, uh, you're not, you would be very well aware that ticket sales in Australia and New Zealand have been a bit of an issue as well, so you're not exactly rowing that boat by yourself, are you? No, we're not, that's right, but it's an important kind of principle for us where this is the first game the Drew has played in, in Fiji. Next year we're going to play five or six. We need the market to be buying tickets early and, uh, and have pre-sales rather than Leaving it to the last minute, and you know, if rain rain causes a delay, no one no one comes. So um, we're just trying to get some of those principles, you know, laid out uh, early. Um, and uh, yeah, it is a tough environment for people. We're very conscious that it's post pandemic. Um, you know, disposable incomes uh, lower. So um, we'll, uh, we'll 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 reflect on on lessons of pricing and so forth afterwards. But uh, hopefully, we'll get close to a full house. Brian, on the field of play, McFirm with uh, the head coaching role, and um, I just wonder uh, how how you uh, how you've been thinking about uh, Fiji and Drua this far into the competition. Only one win, so second to the bottom of the table. But um, I'm not sure where anyone was expecting too much more in terms of the points table. What have you What have you made of the of uh, their introductory year? Oh, look, I think everybody's extremely proud of the t- the, the the players and the coaching team. We have performed above expectations. Yes, we've only got one win, but by golly, we went very close against the Reds and the Western Force. I think we gave the Blues a scare last weekend. Uh, and, you know, the feedback we're getting from um, other teams is that we're one of the most physical teams to, that, that, that they played. Uh, so our, our defence has been strong. Our fitness is extraordinary. We, we're lasting the full 80 minutes, which is not... Um, a, a common thing for Fijian teams. In the past, they tend to expire after 60. So um, we've, I, think, I think we've shown that we belong in the competition, um, that we're competitive. Uh, and, uh, you know, I reckon in, uh, in a couple of years' time, uh, we'll be up, uh, up chasing, the, uh, chasing the leaders. Well, it's uh, some, certainly something to aspire to, and um, uh, we'll, we all look forward to that because a, a really good Fijian side adds so much flavour, as we well know, to uh, the competition. And yeah. speaking of rugby flavour, uh, this is on the back too, Brian, of uh, gold medal for the men's and the sevens at the Olympics, women's getting the bronze. And this really interesting story I've been reading about the Fijiana Drua, uh, who have, um, have done some wonderful things in women's 15s in Australia. 
Yeah, all the girls have done extraordinarily well. The first time they've they've uh, been invited to participate in in a, a, a competition such as Super Rugby W. Uh, it, we came in late, uh, and they, uh, they they were unbeaten, uh, knocked off the Waratahs in the final uh, in the in the Super Round, and uh, they're the um, uh, the, the big story going around Fiji is Fijiana, uh, and uh, you know it's a wonderful platform to to, to start the uh, the campaign heading into Rugby World Cup in uh, in New Zealand later this year. How much rugby, uh, Brian, would you know is actually being played in Fiji under Super Rugby level as such? What are the, is there a competition structure there? Yeah, there certainly is. There's a um, uh, there's 24 provincial unions in in Fiji, and uh, the uh, the the top eight play what's known as the Skipper Cup, uh, and the bottom 16 or the next 16 play in the Vanua Championship. Each of those has got a men's team, a, an under 21s and under 19s team. Uh, three years ago, we actually introduced a women's leg to that, uh, and in the first year, we we required all of the eight Skipper Cup teams to field 10 women per side. Uh, and the following year, we insisted on getting to 15. We introduced tennis side of the Vanua Championship and then again the year after required them to get up to 15. So we've now got you know, 24 provinces, each fielding a 15 side um, team, which, you know, you do the maths, that's um, you know, something over 400 girls. Uh, plus, plus the, it's not just 15, it's the bench and, 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 and others. So, you know, the last three years we've ended up going from pretty much no competition at a female level up to a, you know, a, an eight to 10 to 12 week competition involving, you know, over 600 girls. So that's got a lot to do with the Fijiana's success is that the girls have just been getting good coaching and getting fit, having regular competition. But uh, the men's, you know, the Skipper Cup and the Vanua Championship, that's the, the lifeblood of men's rugby in this country. And, uh, it, uh, it goes on, on for, um, yeah, a, a 10, 12-week period uh, each, each year. So you've got this match uh, against the Highlanders on uh, Saturday. Uh, anything else you've been arrange, managed to arrange for fixtures in Fiji in this super season? Yeah, well, we've been working on this for a while, but uh, as you say, crowds in Australia have been pretty ordinary. So we looked at uh, whether we could uh, switch the round 15 match against the Chiefs, and we've announced that um, on uh, on Tuesday that we will play the Chiefs on May 28th, Saturday, May 28th, 3 o'clock kickoff in Lotoka, uh, in the, the West, uh, as it's known. So uh, we're very much looking forward to, to finishing the the, uh, the competition rounds piece of the competition in Fiji against the Chiefs. Brian, how does it work uh, financially with uh, your side being based predominantly in Australia? Do you share the gates? Do you get the gates? I, I, I noticed, uh, you know, what, what are you dependent on in that regard? Yeah, well, I mean, like every other team, we've got you know, a, a right to seven home matches and we, we play seven away games. So we get the gate for our seven home games and we've, uh, we've negotiated the hiring terms and we've promoted the, the tickets. But the problem is we haven't had a, uh, we don't have a, a base of members in Australia. We've been uh, marketing to the local Fijian communities, but they're only so big. So our our crowds have uh, have been, you know, relatively weak, and as a consequence, the gate receipts relatively weak. So, you know, I think we've played four games in Australia and had crowds of less than two thousand at each game, and uh, we've got the uh, the Moana uh, game 
on, uh, on I think, the 14th of May. We were hoping that we'd get a good crowd drawing on the Polynesians, uh, Polynesian supporters of Moana who'd be in, uh, in the western part of Sydney as well as Fijians. So we hope that game will uh, will do pretty well. But beyond that, then we've got these two games against the Highlanders this weekend and the uh, and the Chiefs on May 28th to round everything out. This game's this Saturday uh, for me is uh, one of the matches of the round. It, it's probably not going to uh, suggest too much in terms of uh, the competition proper as such. But what are you expecting out of out of your side? I mean, if I'm a Highlanders forward or a Highlanders player at the moment I'm, I'm thinking about the first 20 minutes being decidedly uncomfortable Yeah I think that's probably right, watch out you know um, without without uh, predicting how it'll all go, I know that our guys will be you know, desperate to put in a great performance um, we've, we've got you know, a world class group of coaches who've done all the analysis and the work and in some ways we know what to expect from the Highlanders but It'll be fast and furious, um, particularly the first 20 minutes, and um, hopefully we can uh, we can get uh, get plenty of line breaks and put on the the kind of you know uh, flair that Fijian is Fijian terms known for. And as you mentioned, that 14th of May, uh, that's a, a bit of a watershed match too against uh, the two newbies, uh, Moana Pacifica, who've had a similar record to you. Um, they've had the one win and they've been very, very competitive in most of their matches. So that's uh, almost a, a test match like one for me. That one. Yeah, look, we're really looking forward to it. As you say, it's the battle of the newbies, um, and uh, you know, we, we uh, there's there's a lot of uh, Polynesian supporters of rugby in in uh, in Sydney. We we it, it it so happens that that weekend is the magic round for NRL. Uh, which is being held in Brisbane, so there's no rugby league in Sydney that weekend. So all of the uh, the Polynesian supporters of rugby league teams, we're hoping they'll come out and support uh, support Moana and the Drua. Brian McBurn is a, a name and a person very well known to New Zealand rugby, a long, long association with uh, the All Blacks uh, in terms of their tactics, of course. Uh, could you tell us just uh, before we go a little bit about the structure with Mick and who's underneath them? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll uh, yeah, Mick's, Mick's very well known to people in New Zealand. He's he's got uh, an incredible um, track record with teams, not just in New Zealand, but you know he's worked with the Wallabies, with Scotland, Japan, Canada. Uh, but underneath him, we have a couple of assistant coaches, uh, Brad Harris, uh, who who's concentrating on defence. Um, Brad has worked with uh, with the original NRC version of the Drua. He also worked with the Sevens and was there for the Olympic victory in in uh, in in 2020, when was it, 2021. Uh, and then we've got Glenn Jackson, who's very well known to to, to New Zealanders, mm. former All Black, former referee, uh, now a great attack coach for us. Uh, we've got Simon Raului, who's a former Flying Fijian captain and the head of our high performance team here, and he's been uh, he's been focusing on the scrum. I think Mick's looking after the line out. And then we've got the usual group of, uh, of medics and high-performance uh, athletic uh, people. Nartha Thawanabuka, who's, who's also worked with the Sevens. William Kung, our, our, our head medic and physio, who's worked with the Sevens. So, uh, and then ad- admin, you know, team management and so on. So, But the main the main assistant coaches is, is Brad Harris and uh, Glenn Jackson and Simon Rabalui. It uh, sounds good, and it's looking good too, and uh, congratulate you on, on what you've been able to achieve, and we uh, sincerely wish you all the best, Brian, for 
um, a, I won't say a successful homecoming um, from a, a lot of Highlanders <laughs> listeners that we've got here, but uh, what I will say is uh, we, we know that it's going to be very competitive, very physical, and yeah. we wouldn't expect anything less, and we hope that you can get close to that 15,000. It's been fantastic catching up with you. Yeah. Good on you. Thanks very much, uh, Smithy. Vanaka Vakalova. Yeah, cheers. Pro- yeah, yeah. thank you very much. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, travel well, travels, travel safe, mate. Thank you. Um, Brian Thorburn there from uh, Fiji, and what a weekend of rugby and uh, history they've got coming up in front of them with uh, that match. It is uh, just confirming it's a 4.35 kickoff New Zealand time, all right? It's the uh, same time as Fiji time anyway, is it? Or maybe not with daylight saving. Anyway, that's uh, what we can look forward to on our screens. So, yep, that was uh, Brian Thorburn. We might at some stage either catch up with McBurn or... Uh, our very own Glenn Jackson on a number of issues because Jacko, of course, being a former referee, he might uh, have a view or two on uh, the yellows and red cards being dished out in the competition as well. Now that he's not a ref, he can have a go at them if he wants to, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, uh, interesting. Fiji and Drua and the Highlanders this Saturday. It's time for Running Hot or Cold. Proudly brought to you by Regency Plumbing for all your bathroom renovations in Auckland. Well, this is, uh, as you say, brought to us by Regency Plumbing. This is when we look at um, two sides or two players or two individuals or two whatever who are either running hot or running cold. Now, today, my running hot team uh, for me, I've gone to netball and I've gone to the Central Pulse. Now, it looks as if, for all intents and purposes, if the Northern Mystics were going to have their own way with the competition this year. But the Pulse might have something to say about that. Uh, Gail Parata, of course, is their coach. Uh, they beat the Stars last night by 10. Uh, the Mystics have a game in hand on them, but uh, they're level on the points table. So the team running hot for me, uh, Logan, is the Central Pulse, whose numbers uh, across the board have been pretty good. They sure have, Smithy. In the ANZ Premiership, I've been looking at the stats when you mentioned the Central Pulse. Uh, in the top 10, well, just in goals and attempts, Alia Dunn has just been lights out, just on fire. Out of 350 attempts, she has landed 328 goals. That's a shooting percentage of 94%. So she is the definition of running hot. And then on the defensive side of things, you've got Kelly Jury, uh, who leads the way with 20 intercepts. Uh, the nearest one to her is the Stars' Ali Timu with 15. So the Central Pulse, with the way they've been going, beating the Northern Stars uh, recently, and of course now they're second on the table there, they are so hot, Smithy. Yeah, well, they are, and um, they're a good unit too. Um, I, I think they'll be competitive. I think the same two teams match up in Palmerston North uh, in a couple of days' time. So uh, on that form, uh, they'll get the points there, and uh, the Mystics will know that they've been in the competition. So interesting stats there on the pulse. They are, for us this week anyway, the team that's running hot. And cold, couldn't be colder. Colder than a cup of the proverbial, actually, for me is Phil Mickelson. I've gone right off this guy, and I don't know why, because uh, he's just <coughs> being Phil, isn't he? He's always been a bit controversial. Uh, but if he's going to be the head charang going away from uh, the PGA, uh, then I say let him go. Um, and this is we're talking about the guy who, at the age of 50-plus, created history by winning the PGA Championship and was the darling of golf. Everyone wanted a bit of Phil Mickelson. And now he's, uh, he's in a situation where his stocks are so low, he's walked away from the game, he's made comments about the PGA being greedy, a dictatorship, 
he's made comments uh, about the, the Saudi administrations and in not too complimentary terms about uh, the way that they deal with things and has how cutthroat they are. So where does he actually stand? Is he with them or against them? Uh, it's being rumoured that he's, doing, he's taking something like a $15 million upfront payment. $15 million upfront payment, which is nothing to them. It's nothing to them. Uh, you know, I heard a really interesting uh, story um, where, you know, the, this, conglom- this conglomeration or whatever you like to call it of people are worth about $500 billion. And if they lost the $10 billion they're putting up uh, for the Gulf and got no real return out of it, they'd only have $490 billion left. What a shame. Uh, and Phil Mickelson is actually part of that group as well. So, Phil, for me, if you walk away from the Masters history, the, the, uh, you know, the Ryder Cup and all that, uh, for the, the money you don't need, then you're colder than ice for me, and that's where you stand at the moment. It is 11.31 here on SENZ in the mornings, and that means it's time to stump Smithy 0800 uh, Logan will be your MC this morning. We'll go to the news with Aroha 0800 150811. You can win some sleep drops, of course, and 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers. Good luck to you. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, pad up and grab your bat. It's time for a spot of cricket here. We're stumped. SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Producer Logan back in the chair. Smithy, I've missed you, mate. I'm back. Full bill of health. Yeah, that's good news uh, that you're fit uh, and ready to play today because uh, it was, uh, it was, I've got to say, uh, it was hard with Joey. Uh, uh, and Joey had to hop across the seat and he had to give it to Brian. Of course, Brian's not here with us today. We've got Jacob with us today. I mean, um, you know, I'm kind of getting the message that you guys don't like spending a lot of time with me and it's starting to worry me a wee bit because you're sort of, it's like musical chairs up there in Auckland, so... Anyway, we'll just see how this game goes. Just it's, see how this one plays. It's definitely goes. not that, Smithy. Just been very cautious uh, with health, especially when I've got a young daughter at home. But, of course, up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet, plus some sleep drops, daytime, revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed and check out sleepdrops.co.nz. First up at the crease, we have Damon from Palmy. Come in, mate. Hi, how are you guys? Yeah, doing good. You sound all bright and cheery this morning down in Palmy North. Yeah, no, good day here. I'm seeing if, uh, hoping I can turn the tables. I think Smithy's up 3-1 at the moment. <laughs> oh, I love good luck. I love you keeping score, mate. Good luck, Damon. All right. Yeah, good luck to you, brother. Thank you. 3-1. I'll you take, I'll take, three, take 3-1 anyway, any day of the week. I'll take 4-1 better, though, so let's get on with it. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's do it. All right, for you, Damo. Uh Today's topics are rugby league, basketball, and New Zealand at the Commonwealth Games. Take your pick. I'll take rugby league, thanks. All right, let's go. All right, rugby league. First one, look, there was massive, massive loss there, of course, the Melbourne Storm. So let's let's try a bit bit more positive uh, about our Warriors here on Stumped. What was the biggest win for the Warriors in the club's history? Do I just say the score or the name of who they played against or what's that answer? You can give me give me the score if you've got it. Okay, I will go 
Eric Gears. I'm 50-19. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, goodness me. 63-63-6. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You're very close, Smithy. You're very close. It was 66-0 drubbing of the South Sydney Rabbitohs back in 2006. Of course, that feels like a very long time ago. Well, I think I was there. Right, okay. You were there? Oh, wow. You're still alive, Damon. Cameron Smith has played the most games for one club uh, with 430 for the Melbourne Storm. Who is second on the all-time list for most games with one club? Steve Menzies. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, come on, mate. Stumping, let's go. Just repeat repeat the question, please. Who is second on the all-time list for most games with one club? Second on most time uh, for one club. Um, Alfie Langer. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You had the right team. Uh, it was Darren Lockyer with uh, Brisbane. 355. Oh. Okay. So, Good old Darren Lockyer, eh? Duh. So, Always sound very hoarse after the, a game. Down to the last one. Yeah, he did actually, hadn't he? And then he turned into a commentator without a voice too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, you need a voice for commentary, don't you? Uh, Damon, last question. Still alive. $50 TAB uh, bonus beat upper grabs and the sleep drops. Which player holds the record for most points scored in a single season? Ooh, I will go... Uh, Jonathan Thurston. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. JT is a really good guess, but not correct. Smithy, one last chance for a stumping. Well, I think it has to be the greatest goal kicker, I think, that the, the game's ever seen. Um, I, I think it's got to be Hazem or Masri. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yes, that is right. Oh, I'm shattered. I was going to say that. I honestly was going to say that. Bugger. So the record goes up. Yeah, what, is, what is that, 4-1 now? 4-1 now, it's yeah. Four one. Just remind me. Thank you. 4 one Dame, mate. And we've all got, we've still got the Ranfurly Shield as well. So uh, anytime you want to cross... Oh, you're um, rubbing um, rubbing this, in, mate. Yeah. Yeah, every time you want to cross the saddle road and come and at least have a look at it, we'll let you have a peek at it, mate, but you won't get it. Uh, have a great uh, rest of the, the day, Damon. It's been fantastic talking to you and uh, playing against you. So 11.39 here on SENZ, and uh, we've got a couple of texts that have just come in, and uh, we've also got to inform you about our Greyhound pick for the week very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. And it is, uh, and it's very, very pleasing uh, for us at this point in time as well because we're, we're going pretty good. Um, and courtesy of Greyhound Racing New Zealand, uh, we put a bet on like the other shows that do 
and our uh, profits go to Women's Refuge. Now, uh, we're up to a grand. We've got $1,010 on the back of a great result last weekend. Um, and uh, this uh, greyhound that we're tipping out today uh, should come home with the bickies, so to speak, because its form line is outstanding. Uh, it's trained by uh, the Fahey's, of course, uh, New Zealand's probably most successful uh, training combination, if not very close to it. Um, it's race nine, number eight, Opawa Superstar. Race nine, number eight, Opawa Superstar, and that is at Addington today. And I just checked the market. It's paying around about two bucks. Two bucks, so uh, very, very uh, heavily favoured. And, of course, uh, you can tune into SENZ every Sunday. Uh, that's Sunday morning, 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, uh, one of our favourite shows in the weekend. And it's hosted by the two legendary Greyhound experts, that are Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook, so don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's dog speed. You have some news coming through on uh, a very important rugby league date, Logan. I do. Rugby league is coming home, and not just the Warriors f- uh, facing the West Tigers. New Zealand versus Tonga. A doubleheader has been confirmed as Test Match Rugby League returns to New Zealand after two years. Uh, the NZRL proud to announce... That Saturday, June 25, we'll see Auckland's Mount Smart Stadium play host as the Kiwis and Kiwi Ferns line up against their Pacific rivals Tonga in a blockbuster doubleheader worthy of the wait. That rugby league spectacle does coincide with Matariki, the Māori New Year falling on the inaugural public holiday weekend. The long-awaited international clash will celebrate the return home to Aotearoa and reuniting the players with New Zealand's fans and communities. And those tickets are set to go on sale via Ticketmaster on Tuesday. It'll be live on Sky Sport and also for our Aussie listeners, it'll be on Channel 9. Okay, so just confirm that date. June 25, that is a Saturday at Mount Smart Stadium. Okay, June 25, you're looking forward to that holiday actually, that Matariki holiday. Uh, Jared is coming in on uh, the text machine saying, I totally agree with you, your sentiments on Phil Mickelson to turn his back on the PGA Tour, which gave him so much as staggering and also hypocritical given how much he has earned from the tour. Uh, I've never liked him since he bagged Tom Watson at the press conference who was Beside uh, who was beside him at the time, and the USA lost the Ryder Cup. Uh, dis- disrespectful to one of the games. Great. Yes, I don't think Phil will ever be accused of being a, a great team man. I'm, I'm not quite sure his reputation amongst his fellow pros is, is that uh, high at all. But um, yeah, uh, interesting. He's just one of those guys that uh, he needs to take time out. He should have taken more time out over the years, but he's taken time out now, stepped away, and now he's come back big and strong. Uh, on the wrong side of the fence, by the sound of things. And this May the 10th date, when they, they make up their mind, the PGA and uh, the relatively relative bodies in golf who make these decisions, uh, draw the line in the sand and say, you can either go and play for them if you like, earn the big bucks for uh, half a dozen or maybe 10 tournaments, good luck to you, but you're not coming back. Uh, that'll be interesting if they get to that point uh, and golf. Um, <coughs> will be in uh, the, the headlines uh, one around about that time because such... An important part of that, and if you get the likes of Mickelson going Poulter, uh, if Westwood goes, that would disappoint me. Great uh, supporter of Lee Westwood, uh, and Sergio Garcia, I'd, neither here nor there for me. Sergio Garcia always a bit of a, a rebel anyway. He can go. Uh, so yeah, uh, be interesting to see what actually happens and what comes out of that. They need to go find about fifty players, I think, to make each field each week. So probably do that with all the golf tours that are on around the world. 
um, it wouldn't be hard to imagine that uh, perhaps uh, they'll be able to find the, quali- the quantity of golfers they need to make a viable tournament. Quality, top end uh, with those names won't be too bad. Uh, underneath that, who would know? Uh, it is uh, 11.49 here on SCNZ. Uh, another text has just come in from James to say, I heard uh, $150 tickets to a Super Rugby game in Fiji. That wouldn't be right, surely. Not with a Fijian economy. Uh, for the Fijian fans to pay 150 bucks to watch a, a game of rugby in Fiji, I would doubt that very much is the case. Uh, he came, goes on to say, I paid 30 bucks to watch the Hurricanes versus the, Crus- versus the Crusaders. Um, and uh, no wonder they haven't sold out. Well, I, I would imagine that 150 is way, way um, out, of, out of anyone's league over there in terms of trying to fill a stadium with 15,000 locals. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, thanks for that information, but uh, I'll check up on that, and if that's the case, no wonder, absolutely no wonder, uh, ticket sales have been slow. Uh, Dame Lisa Carrington, of course, that's been the hottest news of the morning, has beaten Amy Fisher in race three of their K1500 jewel at Lake Carapiro, and Amy Fisher has been high in her praise, absolutely high in her praise, saying uh, just how good it was, what a great competition it was, what a privilege it was to be part of a contest that was so intense, I can't even describe how it felt before the race. Uh, all the nerves, all the sleepless nights, she's brought out the best of me. I think we bring out the best in each other out there. It's an epic battle that will, uh, for some of the racing, be the best of the decade. So there you go, and that's... Uh, Amy Fisher, who came second this morning to Dame Lisa Carrington. It is uh, time for a break, and then it's also time for a quick chat with Mark Stafford leading into midday. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A great friends, uh, Polaris, our show coming to a close, which means uh, Staffy is uh, coming in just uh, after midday. And uh, Staff, uh, you've been investigating ticket prices. I have, I have Smithy, and I've found them uh, for the Fijian Drua game, and they've just released uh, a couple of days ago, actually, the Waitui Zone. It's a grass embankment on the seawall side, $20 adults, $10 kids under 12. Concrete embankment, $40 adults, uh, and $20 for kids under 12. And then there's silver seating, best viewing seats in the ground, $75 flat. Corporates are about 250 bucks, but for GA, uh, ranging from, for adults, 20 to 75. Yeah, well, it's uh, still relatively steep if you're looking at getting your bum dry on a concrete seat, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> up to around 70 odd bucks. I might take the standing option, and uh, that would be an interesting one. Well, Grass Bank Highlanders, Fiji and Druha standing with the locals if the Fiji and Druha fire up. That would be some party. The, wow. That would be a memorable match. Absolutely, it would. Yeah, um, I, I know that they're sold out at the top end. I just got a text to say, well, we're sold out at the top end. Yeah, the gold ones have all gone, and this is uh, corporate mates, uh, Brian Thorburn there. So uh, what have you got on the show this afternoon? Uh, on, on the show this afternoon, of course, with that breaking news that Logan just had, um, we've got Greg Peters, New Zealand Rugby League Chief Executive, after 1 o'clock. Uh, Tony Johnson, every Thursday, we preview the round of Super Rugby with him on Thursdays. And we've got the coach of the Tuatara basketball team. Of course, the NBL getting underway this weekend. Aaron Young will join us later on in the show. Our mastermind today, Smithy, is Football World Cups, which would be 
an interesting one, I think. We'll reveal our pacing for purpose bet. God, you guys are going gangbusters in the greyhounds. Yeah. Um, we're struggling in the greyhounds, going great in the pacing. So <laughs> um, we're, we're reasonably happy with that. But Midday Madness today, Smithy, and you can kick us off. Mm. I want to talk about, we've done a lot of league this week. Um, I want to talk about rivalries on the back of this Lisa Carrington um, match race series we've had over the last week. Great sporting rivalries. Which ones spring to mind for you? You can kick us off. Yeah, well, interesting that, Steph. Um, if you were looking at individuals, uh, I think when I was growing up, Sonny Liston, Cassius Clay. Mm. Uh, that was what I was brought up with on the radio, and that came way, way, way back. And then, of course, Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali. But Sonny Liston, uh, that, uh, they were the epics. They were epics. We used to listen, crowd around the transistor and listen to those on the radio. Um, you know, uh, what about uh, Steve Scott? John Walker aiming for the yeah. the uh, what is it the the, the sub fours yeah, sub four competition between those two guys yeah, yeah. Um, and you can you can you can plot that a long way back so teams ashes ashes yeah. for me ashes afraid, all day or, yeah. or Ryder Cup or or Ryder Cup yeah oh yeah Ryder Cup's fantastic rivalry yeah so that's what we got Smithy Midday Madness will be fun because there were some rivalries we haven't even thought of and uh, there's been some absolute buttes I mean I my one my early early memories was McEnroe Borg um, that was a great oh. rivalry yeah 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 absolutely oh, man I'm looking looking forward to that then staff so uh, have a great show this afternoon looking forward to hearing uh, from all your guests and uh, your phone calls. Uh, in the next uh, five minutes or so, they'll start ringing up, lighting up the lines. 0800, by the way, 0800 150 811. Your greatest rivalries uh, get into staff, and um, we don't care if it's uh, anyone against Manawatu. I'd love that, in fact. Uh, Jacob, uh, thank no, you very no, much no, for no. sitting in today. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, uh, to you too, Logan and Araha, as always. Fantastic. Brilliant, you guys. Have a great afternoon. Staffy next. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.